Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Hello, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. And today we have another conversation for you on the infinite banking basics. Bruce, thank you so much for being with me and joining me on this series. How are you doing today? Great. I think uh, as you know, people listen to to what we're trying to do with the basics is they need to keep it just as it sounds basic. It, it's not. It's doesn't have to be harder than what. Um, it is, and it isn't very hard. <laughs> you know, Nelson, all he is trying to do is is bring the banking function to you and me. <clears throat> and so if you understand how to use a bank, a traditional bank, all you're doing is storing capital that's more in your control in your name and your private contract name so that you can perform the functions that you normally perform at a bank. So we're going to try to make this a little uh, easier for people to understand about the strategies of actually using your policy. I love that you said we don't need to make it complicated and we don't need to make it, we just can keep it simple because it really is. And I think that really is the theme that we've had through this whole series where instead of lumping everything into one episode, we're really breaking it down into chunks and showing you how infinite banking really works, but also how each concept functions and what it is. I think sometimes we can um, hear a little bit or hear a snippet of uh, maybe a soundbite that you can earn a return in two places at the same time and we think, what does that actually mean? And how does that actually happen? Or this is a great place to store cash. Yes, it is. Why? What does that exactly mean? How does it function as a great place to store cash. And so really what we're doing is breaking infinite banking down into its simplest form and just explaining how it works so that you can understand it from the ground level and also not making it theoretical or or too um, intangible, but just really bringing it into the physical, actual reality of your world so that you can understand how to use it best. So in this series so far, we are on part six today, and we've really covered a lot so far. We've talked about what is infinite banking, what is whole life insurance, which is one of the main components of infinite banking, what is the special design of that policy, what is cash value. Along with that, we've talked about what is death benefit. We've talked about what is a dividend. We actually even talked about what can I do with my dividends and what's the best thing to do with the dividend to make the policy grow and be a better banking policy for me. We've talked about what is a mutual company, and we even talked about the growth of cash value through dividends and interest. So we covered what interest is. And so today, we're going to really dig into what is the strategy of using specially designed whole life insurance. Now, before we answer this question, the reason that this is a topic of conversation today is because we started at the beginning by saying infinite banking is a strategy plus a product. It is not a financial product. And I think so many times we can think if I just have the right product, if I just 
buy the right policy, if I just have the right investment, if I just get the right IRA or the right um, self-directed IRA, or or I make sure that it's a Roth 401k, if I just have the right product, it's going to have everything work out for me and I am going to get all of my financial needs accomplished. And it doesn't work that way. It has to do with how you use a specific product. So we really start by thinking about what do you want to accomplish? What is your goal? And when we really understand the principle that you need to accomplish that goal in your financial life, then we can say, here's the principle, here's the strategy, and then here's the product that best meets that strategy. So because of this series, we've spent a lot of time digging into the what, which involves the what, the tangible actual product and what it is and what it does, the functioning of the mechanism of the product. But without this piece we're going to talk about today, the strategy of using that product, you really are not doing infinite banking. You're not really getting to a position of using it to its fullest capacity. And so today, we're going to talk about not just having a specially designed whole life insurance policy that's properly designed and and having maximum growth and you're doing the right thing with the dividends and it's growing by interest and you're with a mutual company, you have a great death benefit. We're talking about more than just that. We're talking about what does it mean to have a strategy of using this product? And that is the concept and the foundation, the framework really for this conversation today. So Bruce, if I had to share in the simplest one word or one sentence snapshot, what is the strategy of using specially designed whole life insurance that makes up infinite banking? Here's what I would say. I would say it's a process of borrowing against your cash value where you're placing a lien against your cash value and your cash value is growing with uninterrupted compound growth, and you're putting dollars to work in another asset at the same time. Now, we can unpack all of that. What do I mean by borrowing against? What is a lien? What is another asset? What's the internal, the external return? There's so much we can discuss here, but let's just dive in. What would you say to somebody if they first just ask you, what, what is the strategy of using infinite banking? What is the strategy is the concept that your money has to lay somewhere. And so traditionally it has, it has laid or been placed into a bank. And then the bank reaps all the rewards of you actually paying the bank and then not paying you very much interest over the last 12 years. So, and that, oh, by the way, that interest is also taxable. So if you can take, if you can take control of the banking function, and this is where people, this is where people get tripped up all the time because what they have to understand is in order for a bank to actually be established, they have to get a bank charter from the particular state they're in, and they have to come up with a ton of capital. I actually have a friend who has a bank and they had to come up with $20 million of capital. Um, and they had to wait, that capital had to be put into escrow and they had to wait for, uh, I think it was close to eight years for their bank charter to be approved. So they then now are using that, not only that collateral, but additional uh, depositors collateral 
to then make loans. This was actually a mortgage company that wanted to have a bank because if uh, I don't know all the regulations, but federal regulations say you have to do so many uh, mortgages in an, in an underprivileged area for for all the other mortgages you do so you're kind of capped if you don't if you don't have if you're not serving an underprivileged area they cap on how many you can do in other areas so they decided to place a bank in an underprivileged area it was a business decision so then the depositors come in they put the money you're actually using that money um, for your fractional reserve banking and you can look up we've, we've done podcasts on that before and then that particular person in the bank um, that you're using that bank, you get a loan and then you're paying that bank interest. And hopefully you're earning interest on your money. Very few banks are paying the same kind of interest that they used to. Interest rates are going up as we speak right now in, in uh, the spring of 2022. But we believe there's going to be what's called a new normal out there. People are people have saved tens of trillions of dollars in banks without them paying them interest anyway. So we don't believe that banks are going to actually raise their interest rates because that's what you're actually doing. You're buying and selling money in a bank. What does that mean? Well, the bank's buying your money. They're not literally buying it, but they're offering you interest to get you to put the money in their bank. And then they're They're selling the money. The cash from you. Yes. They're buying the cash from you. Yeah. And then they're selling the money by saying, okay, I'll sell it to you at this interest rate to make a loan. And then you decide whether you want to buy it from the outside or not. And so all they're doing is buying and selling money. And then that arbitrage, the difference between those two, how much they're paying you to store your money in the bank and how much they're getting you to pay them with a loan, that's how they make money. Well, a a specially designed whole life insurance contract works the same way. So you store money into, so you have to capitalize, just like my friend had to capitalize his bank. You capitalize by paying premiums. Then per contract, you're allowed to borrow against your cash value. And you also use your death benefit as collateral because they will, they will reduce your death benefit by the same amount. And then your money is still in the contract and it is actually still earning interest, guaranteed interest, and then dividends. And and dividends are not guaranteed, but they're highly probable because every company we work with have paid dividends for over 115 years. And then by contract, you can borrow against that and go either use it to reduce costs somewhere else in your borrowing or to actually put it into another asset that you can make a return off of that asset also. It's not un, it's not any different than when you think about it, a company borrowing money against a bank and going building a company. They're getting they're getting a return on their money at the bank, their business account at the bank, and they're getting returned at the business that they're building. So you could do the same thing with yours. You could say, I'm getting Building, uh, growing my money at the life insurance company. I'm borrowing against that, and I'm going to go put it into another asset that's cash flowing, and I'm earning money there. The business is actually paying the business loan back, and you should pay your personal loan back to the life insurance company. 
if you just look at it from a business perspective, I think it would it would help people really grasp the concept. There's so much value and so much um, to unpack within all of this. One thing that you really brought out front and center, Bruce, and what you just said is the bank being the one who is buying and selling cash is the one that is able to profit by arbitrage because they're making a higher return, a higher interest rate on that money than they're selling it for. And so they're earning that difference. What we're doing by taking the banking function into your own hands is you now have the ability to buy and sell cash, essentially, and you have a cost of using the capital, but you also have a rate that you're earning to um, to sell that capital and and to be able to profit on that arbitrage. So what you're doing is you're becoming the bank and you're getting to take advantage of the things that the bank does and can do. They earn cash flow. They are the ones that are in a position of control. They want the guarantees. They only make loans that they believe are going to be repaid. So they're taking less risk. They're assessing or sussing out the risk of the people who are applying for the use of their capital and saying, I think you're going to repay. So I'll give you a loan at a better interest rate. I think you're probably not going to repay. I'm going to decline you altogether. I think maybe you're a little bit risky, but you'll probably repay. I'll give you a loan, but I'm going to pay charge you a lot higher interest rate. They have that discretion because they want to be in a position of maximum cash flow, maximum control. And then they want their loans to be repaid. They want it to come back into their hands. And if you think about all of that, that positions the bank on this almost higher plane in a way than the people who are the customers of the bank. Because if we customers of the bank are saying, please give us money, well, they're going to charge us for that cost to to use their money. And if if they're the ones calling the shots, they're the ones in control. But if we say, well, let's figure out how to become the bank and do the banking function ourselves, now we have the ability to earn. And inside of a life insurance policy, you're earning by interest and dividends. Again, Bruce, you said guaranteed interest, non-guaranteed dividends. But when you add those up together, you're earning and you have this growth on your cash. And you can say, I would like to use this capital for a highly likely to be repaid loan. I'm going to use it for an excellent investment property that I think is going to have a return of 10, 15, 18% on my money. And then I'm going to use that to repay my loan. I'm going to use it for profitable ventures, things that are low risk. I'm in a position now of being the bank, being able to earn arbitrage, being able to lower my risk, being able to earn interest and being in that position of control. So I just really wanted to highlight that key piece again, that if you think of conceptually the, the difference in position, you're now putting yourself up in that banking function rather than just being a customer of the bank, you're being the bank itself. And that really is the foundation of the strategy of infinite banking. Yeah, and just uh, I know everybody gets hung up on the interest rates. And Nelson used to always say interest rates don't matter. And people, they almost lose their minds when, when they're trying to figure that out. And what he means is that if you're controlling the banking function and the insurance company is charging an interest rate, then they're actually making money on the loans 
which then you benefit from because the dividend is partly uh, derived from the interest that they're making on policy loans. So you're being a benefactor of that. Um, you know, it's funny, people don't, they only look at the interest they're being charged, but they don't look at the interest that they're being credited from the guaranteed interest and dividends. So people get all bent out of shape and they say, wait a minute, the insurance companies, because the insurance companies right now are, are charging about 5% uh, from the loan for the loans, where they say, well, I could go get a car loan for 3.99%. But yes, your but your money that is sitting in the bank is making 0.0115%, where the money that you're making in a specially designed life insurance contract with a whole life insurance um, over a 20 to 30 year period, you're going to get, a, depending on your health, your habit, and your gender, is going to get you anywhere between three and a half and five and a half percent tax free. So it's funny how we're, our minds are actually programmed to say, oh, look at the expense. It's a lot more expensive than I go if I go to a traditional bank, but they forget about the crediting side of it. Mm-hmm. And they say, and really, if you understand balance sheets with any businesses, you have your assets and liabilities. So your own bank, your own personal bank would have the same thing. What are your assets in your bank and what are they making? And what are your liabilities and what are, what are they uh, being charged interest on? And then you just look at the, the difference between and that is, your, that is your balance of your particular banking business. So there's so much I want to say about that. What I'm going to do, I'm going to attempt to very simply and systematically walk through just for somebody who maybe is newer to the concept, what exactly is happening. You're hearing us say a lot of words and a lot of um, things that if you are already familiar with the concept are going to make a lot of sense to go back and re-listen to the, the first, I don't know, 15 minutes of this episode. But if you're coming in with a new set of eyes and you're saying, I have no idea what you're talking about, about infinite banking yet. I want to just give you just a step through process of what exactly is happening inside of a life insurance policy when you're storing cash and then you're borrowing capital. So first you're paying premiums. Those premium dollars are what you pay to have access to this whole life insurance policy. Your premiums are purchasing a death benefit you're also getting cash value, which is similar to equity in a house. You have equity in your life insurance policy, which is cash value that you can access during your lifetime. Now, that cash value is growing based on guaranteed interest plus non-guaranteed dividends. That all just means that my cash value inside the policy is continuing to grow. And the amazing thing is if you look just at a a line graph of what's happening inside of a life insurance policy, you have a guaranteed death benefit and a guaranteed cash value. But you also have a non-guaranteed, meaning based on dividend growth as well, that's not guaranteed, but a non-guaranteed cash value and a non-guaranteed death benefit. Those tremendously continue to rise over time. And what that means is that you are going to have significantly higher cash value and death benefit than you pay in in premiums. That's the the short of the story. We could um, unpack all of that, but I want you to understand what's happening with cash value. I said that you can use this capital while you're living. What does that mean? Well, what you do 
is there's multiple ways of accessing cash value. Of course, you can withdraw it. That's not the most efficient way to use the infinite banking concept, but it is a possibility and there's other implications there. The, the ideal way to use infinite banking is to borrow against your cash value. When I say borrow against, it's because you're not taking the money out of your cash value. Say you had $100,000 of cash value available inside of your life insurance policy and you said, well, I want to use 80 grand of that money and I would like to go purchase a uh, multifamily property with this and this is going to be my down payment. What you're able to do is borrow $80,000, but you're not taking it out of your cash value. You're taking it out of the life insurance company's general fund. This is a guaranteed right or privilege of being a policy owner, and they extend this loan to you on a guaranteed basis, meaning you're not asking them for a loan and requesting it and seeing if you qualify and having to show your financials and and how risky you are and whether you're going to repay. None of that. You are simply saying, I have $100,000 of cash value. Please extend to me $80,000 of capital in the form of a loan. What happens is you get your $80,000. They put a lien against your cash value and your death benefit. What that means is your available cash value to borrow. Remember you had $100,000. You're borrowing against, not out of, but against $80,000. That still leaves $20,000 of available cash value to borrow against, but the other $80,000 is tied up. It's occupied, if, if we could say that. And what's happening is during this time frame that you have this $80,000 of capital working, you're putting it over in this multifamily property, you're now earning an external return, external to the life insurance policy, external return on your investment. You're, having an, you're earning an internal return on the life insurance company money itself. So that's through interest and dividends. The amazing thing is that because you borrowed against your capital, not from it, your full $100,000 of cash value is continuing to grow with uninterrupted compounding because of interest and dividends. It's not stopping. At the same time, you have this loan that's working over here in your investment property. And because of that, you're able to earn in the investment property and in the life insurance policy at the same time. There is an interest rate associated with the use of that cash. And this goes into another component where a lot of times people say, well, infinite banking is just about paying myself back with interest. Well, no, you're not paying yourself back. What you do is you are, you have a interest rate attached to that loan. When you pay that loan back, that $80,000 loan, you pay back with interest to the insurance company. The insurance company then is growing on the basis of this capital return and the interest that you're paying on this loan, which is then growing their overall profitability, which is then redistributed to you in the form of a dividend. So that's kind of on the backside where you can say paying back policy loans benefits me as a policy holder because that impacts my dividend growth because the company is more profitable. But what happens when you repay that loan, this, the capital that you had secured is, or the lien against the cash value is then reduced by the amount of the repayment. What this does in a big picture is that we know that you always have a cost of capital. You're going to either pay interest to use cash from somebody else, or you're giving up the ability to earn interest that you could have earned 
How do you not use the cash? That's a whole nother conversation we can unpack. But the value of using infinite banking is that, yes, you still have a cost of capital. If you take that policy loan, there's still an interest rate. I mean, Bruce, we just talked about there's a 5% generally for most insurance companies right now, interest rate attached to using that cash. So that's your cost of capital. However, you're still earning. There is a internal growth rate. There is a um, you're earning money at the same time that you have this cost of capital because you have those dividends and interest continuing to grow. And that's what really puts you in a tremendous position of advantage because you didn't just have the capital cost. You also are earning money on the capital that you have secured and that you hold inside that life insurance policy. So that's kind of a, a high level overview of the, the technicals and the moving parts and what's happening behind all of these things that we're saying about being the bank and what it means that there's a value in paying back at interest and all of these things that we were unpacking in the first few minutes. Um, Bruce, is there anything that you would add to what I just shared kind of before we, before we talk about more um, along the lines of where you were going originally? No, I think that... Um... One of the things that comes up when we're talking to clients is Nelson <clears throat> Nelson talks in his book about <coughs> excuse me if the insurance company is paying you is is uh, charging you five percent, why don't you charge yourself ten percent and that additional five percent goes to grow your cash value and people then assume that you're paying you know the interest back to yourself it's truly not interest what you're doing is you're overfunding your puas your paid up additions which is the specially designed part of these and we don't have time to talk about that and we talked about it in other episodes but that's what i just want people to understand is why they might get confused every once in a while because they read the book and i heard somebody say well you're paying yourself interest you you're, you can pay what you're charging yourself outside because you're controlling the banking function. So you're charging yourself additional interest, but all you're actually doing is paying additional money into your cash value and PUAs. And if it's designed properly to hold to your cash flow and assets, there will not be any room to buy additional PUAs. And that's why working with a certified practitioner. On, on this to maximize it from the very beginning, you don't have to pay yourself additional PUAs because you already are maximizing the PUAs. That's mm -hmm. a little deeper. And that's why you need to talk to somebody about your, your specific situation. I was holding that sneeze for about a minute. I thought it was going to evaporate. Sorry. Yeah, Bruce, I, I really like that you brought that out because I think sometimes there can be confusion because of how something was stated and understanding what that truly means can just bring that clarity so that everything's out in the open. And yes, you certainly yeah. can go ahead. And unfortunately, there are producers out there, insurance producers out there that still say that you're paying yourself, the interest goes back to you. But and in a response to that, the insurance companies have actually put it on their illustrations and in their policies in bold print the interest goes back to the insurance company um, because this is this is something that happens over and over again and we have to and that's why we're beating this into the conversation so <laughs> so that there's clarity here the 
interest that's charged by the insurance company goes to the insurance company. You do benefit from that because like you already said, that's part of their profit mechanism. And the more profit they make, then you actually make more in dividends. It's also why some people say that you shouldn't, if you're going to actually not use your policy to the fullest, you ought to have a, a non-direct recognition company because that way you're not paying the for people that are using their, their policy. Um, so there's a lot of things, but I just wanted to make that very clear that um, Nelson did mention this. And I talked to Nelson about this several years before his death. And he said, you know, Bruce, I'm just talking to people in the general public when you get to sit down and explain to them that you're going to maximize it from the beginning, then you don't need to pay yourself additional interest. And so maximizing from the beginning simply means if you designed a policy that, or a policy was designed for you that you said, I have $100,000 per year I want to put into a policy. Well, perhaps approximately in the ballpark of maybe 70,000 or so is paid up additions and maybe about 30,000 or so is base premium. And that ratio is adjustable based on what we're accomplishing for you. But say it was in that ballpark, the paid up additions, the 70,000 is usually an optional payment. What that means is if you could um, pay less, if you, uh, there's a particular phraseology that I like to use. It's not flexible payments, but you can you have flexibility on whether you pay the full premium. And so what that means is if you came into a year that you said, well, I can't fund this at the full 100,000 I planned to, or I don't want to this year, you could pay your base premium and usually a portion or $100 or something of the paid up additions to keep it active. And in some companies, you can catch that up the next year if you missed it in one year. But if you couldn't or just simply weren't able to pay the full 100,000 premium, you could pay the base plus just the portion to keep the paid up additions in in force. However, if you are always funding that policy at the full $100,000 of premium that was illustrated and you're maximizing your paid up additions every single year, there's not going to be room to put anything more than repaying the loan at the interest rate specified and paying your full premium because you're already paying full premium. So what Nelson was saying is if you've made modifications or you've not paid your full PUAs, well, there's more room you can pay back into your PUAs and that's like paying interest to yourself. But basically what we just want to do is pay back policy loans at interest to the insurance company and as much as possible, fully fund all of the premium into your policy. Correct. So Bruce, I think sometimes it can be a little bit confusing, this idea of what is the lien? Where, why am I not, how is the insurance company um, being the one to extend the loan? Why, why is my cash value having a lien against it versus taking the money out? Can you just kind of unpack the difference between a withdrawal, which would be impacting the cash value itself, and a loan? Yeah, because because insurance contracts of whole life insurance contracts, most of the companies they endow 
at age 121. The actual endow means the cash value and the death benefit will actually equal at age 121. So they'll just, if you're still alive, they'll simply write you a check. That is really important because the, the actuaries now know the, the final year so that they can calculate what it's going to take to get to that equal death benefit cap, um, death benefit cash value. So cash value is always the net present value of a future death benefit. So in other words, whatever that, that cash value is, and then with the net guarantee interest rate, you're going to have a column on there that's going to show what it's going to endow. And then the other column on a non-guaranteed side, which is the dividends, they're going to presume the dividends are going to be paid at current interest rate, or excuse me, current dividend rate, and they're going to meet. And so when you're looking at that, when you're trying to figure out what am I actually doing and why do I want to pay additional premiums and not take it out, or I'm sorry, borrow against the cash value and not take it out. When you take out your cash value by contract, you can do that. But then two things happen. It reduces the death benefit and you cannot put it back in to raise the death benefit again. And it reduces your cash value. And now the calculations for the, the net interest guaranteed interest rate and the dividends are going to be lower because it is calculated on a lower cash value and a lower death benefit. So instead of doing that, it is much more efficient with the policy to actually take a loan against it. So all you're doing is using your cash value as a as collateral and your death benefit as a collateral. So let's, you already used one example of 100,000. So let's just do this real quickly. If you have $100,000, you could uh, say, Life insurance company, I just want you to send me a check of $80,000. I just want to take the $80,000. You can do that. By contract, you can do it. But now they're going to lower the death benefit. And now when they calculate future interest and dividends, they're only going to calculate it on the current $20,000. If you do a loan against it, using as collateral, you take $80,000, the entire $100,000 is going to get interest and dividend payments in the future. And your death benefit is only going to be reduced by the $80,000 that you took out, plus any accruing interest that's being charged. The, the benefit of this also now is as you pay back the loan, you release more collateral and you'll have more to borrow against in the future and your death benefit goes up. Where if you withdraw it, you can't pay it back. So your death benefit stays at a lower level and you don't have more collateral to borrow against into the future. I think that's really important to hear. Not only do you have options, but there are more advantageous options than others. And so if you're in a position saying, well, I have cash value, but I don't I just simply don't like the idea of a loan or paying interest at all. I have clients that no matter how much I've explained this to them, how, I've even had a client say, I know you're right, but I can't get over the fact I don't like to have a loan. I, but I know you're right. And I never fight with those kind of clients because 
there's the financial aspect that's right. And, but there's also an emotional aspect that's right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I said, okay, we'll just have them send you the $80,000. That's fine. Which is completely fine to do. You will right. pay taxes on any portion of that $80,000 check now that you are receiving in excess of what you've paid in, in premium. So that is something to note as well. And then that is going to, I mean, I would probably like to use the word handicap your ability to have as much death benefit and as much cash value as you had originally intended in the policy, but certainly a viable option for how to use cash value. Um, Bruce, there's one other thing that you had mentioned, um, just the tax-free nature of the growth inside your policy and how valuable that is. And I think so many times we're used to calculating the, well, I don't know if we're used to calculating the growth rate of, of investments based on a tax rate and how much is going to be shaved off after we pay taxes. Maybe we don't think about that often enough. But what happens is if you're in a tax deferred growth tool, say a 401k, an IRA, where you're deferring tax, you're putting the cash in today, you're not paying tax on that now, you will pay tax when you take the money out, which means if I earned a 5% return, depending on what taxable bracket I'm in, I'm not going to realize the 5% growth rate when I use the money because a portion of that is going to be gone on the basis of taxes. If it was, um, I want to not misspeak, but you know, maybe that 5% turns into 3% after tax growth rate after I factor in taxes. So when we're looking at what is the internal rate of return on a life insurance policy, it's not an actual rate of return. And the reason is that we're not saying this is an investment tool. It's not an investment vehicle where you can say, here is your um, your percentage of growth rate average or expected over a certain number of years. But what you can look at is the actual growth that's happened historically. If you take a policy that's been enforced for 30 years and you look back at how much premium was put in and now how much cash value you have accessible based on the interest and the dividends that have grown your cash value up to the point that it is today, you can look back and say, well, here's what I have now. Here's what I put in. Here's the number of years. What is that rate of return? Well, that usually when we're looking back at historical policies, we're seeing in that large window of time, that 20 to 30 years between three and 5%. Again, that's not a guarantee that you're going to say, I put in X number of dollars this year, and I'm going to have 3% growth rate because you have the capitalization phase and the lag on your liquidity in the earliest years, but you're in a position where your cash is growing and the growth associated is you're not going to pay taxes to use that money. Just something I do want to specify here, cash value grows tax deferred technically. That's the actual way that it grows. What that means is you would have to pay tax on that cash value at the end, not at the beginning. That's what tax deferred means. You're postponing or pushing off to the end. But if you utilize your policy properly and within the the guidelines for infinite banking, you can access and use that cash value with no tax consequence through policy loans. And that's why we say you can use it and access it tax-free. So just a clarification there. But I think the the beautiful thing is when you see that cash value dollar amount listed, that's not a, here's your cash value and we're going to end up taking out these fees and these taxes and this interest rate. 
and you're going to end up with something a little bit less. No, that's the actual amount that your cash value dollar amount is after all of those things have been already factored in. Bruce, I think we've unpacked a lot today about the strategy of using specially designed life insurance. Um, One last thing I will say is that you certainly can buy a life insurance policy. And as I say, put it on the shelf and and keep that. Just hold it for the next 50, 60, 70 years. You can hold it for a lifetime and never take a policy loan. You certainly can do that. Um, There's nothing wrong with doing that. But there's a strategy of saying, if I'm storing capital, that I can also access that capital. And the way that I store and access capital can be really advantageous for me to use in this way of, of calling it infinite banking. And because I have this ability to access and use cash, I'm in a better position. So I, I just want to not downplay that you don't have to take loans but you can take loans and you can take them for whatever you like for investments and even for expenses as the need arises. So you have the ability to use capital because you have built capital with infinite banking. Bruce, is there any final thoughts that you would like to share before we close up this conversation on the strategy of using especially design life insurance for infinite banking? No, I think um, just to piggyback on on that particular topic, you know, we often talk about an emergency fund, but also you could say it is an opportunity fund. And I do have clients that go years and years and years, and all they're doing is capitalizing, capitalizing, capitalizing. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, an opportunity comes about. I have a client in Northwest Missouri right now that has a lawn service, and he's been capitalizing and capitalizing and over about the last four years, and all of a sudden, he has the opportunity to buy <clears throat> buy another lawn service and expand his lawn service. And guess what? <clears throat> he didn't have to go to the bank. He just called me up and said, I have $48,000 of loan ability, and I, I want that because I'm going to buy this lawn service that's going to produce X amount of additional revenue. And it was so easy. You know, he had his, he had his money in three days. Tax, tax free, and he's going to be paying back as a good banker. He's going to be paying back his loan so that when the next opportunity to expand comes about, he's going to have it again. So don't over don't over complicate this. Capitalize, 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 and then as Nelson says, uh, opportunities find cash. <laughs> You're you. You're highly uh, alert when you have cash to opportunities, and we, and we see it all the time. Absolutely. I love that you ended on that note because it makes it so practical and something that every single one of us can relate to. So thank you for sharing that. All right. We're going to wrap here today. If you have enjoyed this conversation or the money advantage in general, please subscribe. Please like this video, whether you're finding it on YouTube or Facebook or LinkedIn. We would love to have your your rating and a review as well on Apple Podcasts, which used to be iTunes. And so you can do that there. We would love to have your questions. If you have questions about infinite banking in general, about anything to do with finance, about 
um, managing and optimizing your cash to be in the best position possible. We'd love to hear your questions because we would love to answer them on a show or just be able to help you get the clarity that you need so you can move forward. You can do that by sending us a email at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or just popping your question below this video wherever you are finding it. Thank you so much for being with us today. And please remember in closing, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business that you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.